greatest con on earth. That's where we are. Week three. Good to have everybody. If you weren't here a little bit earlier, my name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads. It's great to have you. Isabel, congratulations. Wonderful to be a part of that. Uh, if you are a guest here this morning or if you've been around for a while, we've never got a chance to have coffee and meet one another and hear each other's stories. I would love to do that. Inside the program is my cell phone number. Just send me a text. Say, hey, I was at Crossroads. I'd love to get together, hear a bit of your story, share with you mine, ask you some questions. What's wrong with you? That, that's a legitimate question. Totally fine with that, and I'd love to do that. In fact, I think that's how Isabel and I met. It started, she, right? So you never know. You might end up getting baptized. I have no idea, but never asked her. She just did it, you know, but uh, it's great, so it's good stuff. Hey, listen, I mentioned last week about our Early Learning Center and some things that had happened there, and I just want to give everybody some, uh, an update on that. So we've hired a new director who's fantastic. She's wonderful. We've hired three new staff members, five new staff members. Uh, our, qual our care is going to continue on without being interrupted. The quality is going up. It's very exciting. So we're wishing the best for those of our team that moved on to other things, but we're excited about the future. So thank you for your continued support of that effort. And one of the exciting things is our new director's background is really strong in working with uh, younger kids that have been diagnosed with autism. And so part of the vision we've always had was how can we serve those families in our community with different therapies and how can we partner? And so there's a, that's exciting to see us moving and inching towards that direction. And so thank you to everybody that has participated in praying and giving and participated in helping with kind of dreaming and visioning about this uh, ministry into our community, right? So the anchor verse, the scripture verse behind this series is really found in John chapter 8. And my paraphrase of this verse <laughs> says, the devil, the ultimate con man, has always hated the truth because the truth brings freedom from his control. So deception and destruction come just naturally. It's the devil's character. And all lies from, flow from the devil uh, like water from a fountain, right? And if we say that God is love and we understand words like God and the devil, like different people understand them differently, but if we think of them as a representative of deeper realities in our world, Right? We could say that if God is love, then the devil really can be any deception to destroy the work of love in our lives. Right? We can understand it in that metaphorical way. Right? And so the first week, we talked about this idea of overload. We put too much on our lives, and when that happens, our relationships disappear. Right? And we said when we put margin into our world, that margin exposes the con and will reduce the risk of overload. And margin is the space between the load that we put into our lives, and the limits that we have, right? And the big, big lie is that we don't have limits, right? And when we, when we lose the margin in our lives, our relationships uh, are, are pained, our relationships are stressed. But when we put margin in, our relationships flourish. And then last week, we really dove into kind of uh, some, some bigger concepts, like kind of some theory around this all, that if we're going to be able to put margin into our world, we have to kind of push into this idea. And we said that creating and maintaining margin in any area is only possible when we go through the loss and death of the sacred object. And we talked about how the sacred object is that thing that sits behind some prohibition that we believe can make us whole, that we believe will make everything better. And we actually said that the, the most powerful sacred object and the most painful one to give up, the most painful one to recognize is empty, is the ultimate sacred object of a Zeus-like God that is in control of everything, that can somehow magically bring wholeness into our lives, that we actually have to give up on that idea of God and walk into a, a God that pushes us towards one another, that pushes us into a world in love. And we said that 
that this idea of lack that we experience in our lives is a part of the fabric of the universe. And that is because lack is the secret ingredient to love. That if we didn't experience lack, we wouldn't experience love. And so it's kind of the yin and the yang, if I can use that language, right? And so we can't have love if we don't have lack. And even Jesus experienced this in this really wild moment that John, or that the Gospels give us, um, Matthew and Mark, when he's on the cross, and he is said to have cried out, Father, uh, or, or why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That even, even Jesus, God, what we say, went through the loss of that sacred object. And it's painful, but once we walk through that, we can start to rebuild and restore, uh, really, Jesus's revelation of God as love, as permeating all things, and that religion really doesn't matter. So we've, we spent two weeks on theory. You're welcome to go back and listen to that if you can't sleep one night. Happy to help. Um, and this week we want to jump into, in the next few weeks, we're going to talk really practically, uh, I hope, about how do we get margin into our lives. We're going to take that framework of the sacred objects, the death of the sacred objects, and the barriers, the prohibitions. We're going to figure out how we work around those in our lives, and we end up destroying margin. And so how can we look really practically, all right? So today we want to talk about everybody's favorite thing, money. I heard it. I heard it. But here's the good news. We're not talking about giving, so everybody can just loosen up, all right? You can loosen right on up. Some of you, like, tightened up right away, okay? So I'm going to say the word giving once, and I'm just going to say it in passing, all right, okay? And I'm not even going to talk about giving to church, okay? So just hang in there with me. But let me ask you this question. If, if, if you think of money as a type of sacred object, right, that money can bring us, well, money's not really the sacred object, right? But if you think of something out there that you want that money can get you, money kind of becomes the prohibition, right? If you want something but you don't have the money for it, what do you look at? You go, well, I just need more money, right? So we talked last week about the model that we get in this idea of a, of a holy of holies in the Bible, that God is somehow behind this big veil, and if we can just follow the right rules, then we get to God. But what Jesus exposes is that that God was never back there, right? The temple veil is torn open, and it's empty, that idea. And so the prohibition in our world often is money. And we think, if I can just get past the prohibition to get the thing that I want, then I'll be happy or I'll be whole. So in your own life, think about this. What is the sacred object that money prohibits you from having? Right? What is it that you just think in your life, or maybe at one point in your life, maybe you're like me and you've just evolved and you don't need anything, you don't ever covet any stuff that other people have, you know, you've arrived, as I like to call my spirituality, um, I'm never jealous of people's cars that the doors open up like this, you know, things like that. <laughs> My neighbor opened up his garage and unplugged his car this morning. I was like, you know, I mean, <laughs> right? What is that thing that we just go, it'll fix all of our problems? Well, well, money acts as a prohibition. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's a, a vacation. Maybe it's a degree. If I just get the right training, then I can get the right job, but I don't have the right money. I can't get it. For Wendy and I, for me, early on in our lives, it was a house right? Wendy was pregnant with our first child, and we were living in this apartment that we could afford, and, and we had this, like, idea that you weren't allowed to raise children in an apartment. I don't know where we got it from, but somehow it was like, we can't raise a child here. 
there's a roof and a room. We need more space, you know. I don't know what, we were young, we were just, so we thought you got to buy a house and you can't go wrong and you just own real estate. And we lived in New England at the time and everybody says you can't go wrong with real estate in New England. So we made one of the worst decisions of our financial lives ever. It was in that height of like they were just giving away loans, right? 2006. You're breathing, here's a loan right? So, so we got a loan, one of these no money down types of things and signed all this stuff. And, and we ended up buying a house. And at the end of the day, that house became the biggest millstone around our neck ever. Like, what were we thinking? I mean, we couldn't afford a house at the time. This was back in, like I said, 2006. We couldn't afford a house, period. Nobody should have ever given us a loan, but we always made the payment, thank God. But it just became this burden because it needed so much work and we really, we would have been so much happier <laughs> had we just not fallen into what is called mimetic desire, right? So we fell into the trap of what's called mimetic desire. Now, what is mimetic desire? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. So there's a philosopher named René Girard, a French kind of anthropologist who did a lot of work on this idea of our mimetic way of life. Right? And what he basically said was in its most basic sense that in our lives, hang on, listen, it's a tough phrase, we desire the things the people we desire desire. I'll say that again. So we desire the things that the people we desire desire. So we have people in our lives, think of my wife and I in the house, we had people in our lives and we look at them and we go, we want our life to look like that. We love being around these people. They're beautiful. They're wonderful. And they desire, they have a house. And they have modeled that for us. And so what happens is we desire the house, not because we intrinsically want it, but because we saw somebody else with it and thought, I need that. By the way, that's why people invade countries. Right? I mean, that's what's happened. It, it, it's, it's just, I want that. It looks good. Somebody else has it, so I'll go get it. Right? It's, a, it's, it's called mimetic desire. And you, you've done this before. How many of y'all ever dated somebody? Right? And you find yourself dating that person, and then you find out that they love something really crazy. Like they love to go out and, and catch, I don't know, groundhogs. <laughs> Favorite pastime of theirs. We go out and hunt groundhogs. It's wonderful. And then we train them, do tricks, and we go out and busk with them on the street. It's beautiful. And you're like, that, I don't get it, but man, that sounds fun all of a sudden. And next thing you know, you find yourself hunting groundhogs and you catch a few and you train them and then you're out busking the streets, earning a huge living. And, and you'd never thought about this. You never desired to do it until the person you desired desired it, right? That's mimetic desire. We just like mirror what's around us. If I perceive someone's career or their lifestyle or their vacation as good and I value that person, all of a sudden I want it. I want it. But here's the thing. Mimetic desire drives us down a very dangerous path of debt. Because the prohibition of money can be overwhelmed. We can break through the veil of debt to get to the sacred object, or the veil of money. We can break through that veil, get to the sacred object with a substitute object called debt. And now when you couple the reality of greed and insecurity and entitlement that exists in our culture, in myself, right? Let's, you know, let's just be honest here. You, you do that, and then you put this substitute object of debt, and I go, man, I can break through the barrier. I can break through the prohibition. I can get right back to that sacred object. I just go borrow it, and I get past the prohibition. Wow, this is great, but here's the thing. 
when you break past the prohibition, and you've done this, I'm just telling you what you already know, right, in like really fancy words so you feel like I'm worth my salary, okay? Because you've done this. You break through the barrier, you get the loan, you get to the other side of the curtain, the veil is torn, you've transgressed, right, that barrier, that prohibition, you walk back in, you take a hold of that sacred object, and what are you left with at the end of the day? Nothingness. You got the boat, you got the car, you got the vacation, you got the degree, and in, in, a, in whatever length of time it is, that feeling sits right back in, that feeling of emptiness. And what we talked about last week, it's not because there's something out there that can make you whole, it's that we've bought into the idea that there is something out there that can make you whole. So we just leave that one and we go chase something else. We leave that one and we go chase something else. And in the financial world, it just looks like more and more and more debt, more and more and more debt. And that's the con, right? And so debt serves as this substitute object of sorts, a way of breaking through those financial barriers to get what we think we desire, the sacred object that will make us whole, only to discover it was a big con game. So the big tension that we experience is we think that debt can make our dreams come true, right? We don't say that. We say, like, replace debt with whatever the sacred object is. We think that degree will make us whole and make our dreams come true. And we think that the car, and we think that the relationship, and to keep the relationship, I've got to buy this stuff, whatever it might be. But debt becomes the substitute object to make it happen in our lives. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a financial nightmare. I've been there. I think a lot of us have been there. And wisdom actually is, there's scriptures that give us some wisdom around debt, all right? And, 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 and as we look in scripture, remember, I come at scripture, the Bible, as a place of wisdom, not rules. I think it's a terrible rule book. I think if you want to live your life by the Bible, you are eventually going to do significant damage to yourself and to others. But if we look at Scripture as a diary, a record of our spiritual ancestors' journey, the way they thought about God, the way they understood God, we see it as giving us the beginning of the revelation of Jesus and all that Jesus stood for, and we see wisdom and principles. Oh, there's power in that. But Jesus never said, hey, listen, I'm going to go away, and I'm going to give you a book, and that book is going to be just wonderful, and you're going to be able to figure everything out in life from the book. He never said that. None of, the, none of the earliest followers of Jesus ever thought that. They ever imagined it. They believed that Jesus left a living spirit that would help us navigate the realities of our world as it shifts. Now, that gives me a lot of hope, right? But still, for my life, Scripture is probably the most important written count because it helps me understand how we've progressed spiritually, my ancestors, and then it moves forward into the tradition, right? So a couple of things. Proverbs, book of Proverbs, filled with all kinds of aphorism statements that predominantly work if you're in the upper middle class. <laughs> like, let's just be honest, Proverbs was written for people that were probably in a royal line. So they're generalities that kind of work. But Proverbs 22 says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave of the lender. And we've experienced this, we understand that. Our ancestors understood intrinsically something very universal, that there is a debt that has an enslaving quality to it. Good debt, bad debt, whatever word you use around it, debt has a kind of an enslaving quality. In a way, it takes away our freedom of choice. It limits us in our future plans. It kind of, it, it, it changes the shape of our desires, right? There's just this enslaving quality to it. 
And, and the idea is that our possessions, right, that debt that we go into can easily, those possessions easily take possession of us. And we actually start making choices not around love. We don't make choices around uh, what does it mean to enter into our world as peacemakers. We make choices around this slave owner in our lives, the possessions that we have. We got to keep the machine running, right? Another thing we see in the wisdom of Scripture is, is interesting, and then we have to kind of, we really have to take our post-enlightenment mind and, and set it aside for a second and then bring it back, that our spiritual ancestors, the ancient Israelites, they understood debt, right, as a painful consequence for unwise behavior, right? There's this, there's this understanding that they had that in some ways debt was a consequence of a lack of wisdom. So in the book of Deuteronomy, we have this chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 28, and it's one of the most frightening passages of Scripture if you take it super literally and we don't, like, recognize what's happening in the whole of Scripture. Because in antiquity, there was this belief that the gods controlled everything, and I use the word plural specifically because even the ancient Israelites believed in gods. It's in Scripture. You can read it there. And there was just this belief when there wasn't rain, we did something wrong. When there was plenty of rain, we did something right. Post-enlightenment, we understand a little bit thing or two about science, right? But they interpreted these things in their lives oftentimes through the lens of divine curse and divine blessing. And I think when we say that Jesus took on a divine curse, I think that can mean that Jesus helps open our eyes to the reality that's just not how, how love works. But they had this belief, and I think even in the curses and in the blessings, there still is wisdom there. And so it says this in Deuteronomy 28, it says, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, carefully observing all his commandments and statutes, which I give to you today, all these curses shall come upon you and overwhelm you. Sounds like a couple of churches I've worked at. Sounds like me 15 years ago. <laughs> do this and then God will do that. And then if you read, uh, the list is just frightening of all the things that will happen to you if you don't follow it perfectly, Right? And then it comes towards the end and it says, here's one of the things that will happen. The resident aliens among you will arise above you higher and higher and you'll sink lower and lower. They will lend to you, not you to them. They will become the head and you the tail. So in this pre-enlightenment language of divine curse and divine blessings for good and bad behavior, what's hidden in that is this innate understanding that debt is not a good thing, that there's something about it that comes from an unwise choice right? That there's some type of debt out there. And we would say this, generally speaking, and I think regardless of your faith tradition or what words you use for the idea of God, you would recognize that we generally experience bad consequences for unwise choices and good consequences for wise choices. And in antiquity, there was this idea that says, man, if you find yourself, and, and as a nation, as a people, that, that you now are being loaned to, that the debt is being incurred on your part, you have acted in a way that's unwise. And their language would have been, you've, you've sinned against God, right? The gods, whatever it might be. And so I think there's something powerful there that says, hey, wait a second. The perception was debt isn't necessarily this beautiful thing to celebrate. And I think a third beautiful thing about debt that we can find in Scripture, some wisdom comes from Paul. And Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, one of the most complicated theological letters that you'll ever read, he writes this in Romans, 15, in Romans 13, verse 8, which is super 
amazing, but he basically says that the only appropriate debt in this world is a debt to love. Isn't that good? This is what he says. He says, owe nothing to anyone. Like, well, you never tried to buy a house in northern Colorado, Paul, so just, just hold on a second. Hold on one second, right? Terrible rule book. Remember what I said. Terrible rule book. You want to apply that to a rule, then you're going to have problems. You're going to be ridden with guilt when you get a mortgage, okay? So that's not what we're talking about today. The principle, what Paul is saying is, Love one another in such a way that you owe your behavior in a certain... That's the debt you want. And you should be careful about what you owe people. So this wisdom in Scripture, this idea of sacred objects that control us, right? Here's the thing. Like, I don't want us to miss this. Debt, right? The type of debt that we use to get what we believe is the sacred object, that type of debt will enslave us. And ultimately, it will limit our freedom to love because it will become a taskmaster. And if love flourishes in the margins of our lives, that is true in our financial margin. If we want to use our financial realities to love one another, you have to have margin. And debt as a means to break through the barrier of our financial reality, to break through the barrier of money, if money is a type of law, money is a type of prohibition, debt used to circumvent, to break through, will eventually enslave. Okay, so in your everyday normal peacemaking life, what does that mean? Okay, I would just say this. Debt can be a beautiful force for human flourishing when it's used for healing and creative purposes, right? So I don't, I'm not, I'm not here saying anything about like those of you that have debt, I have debt, you're a terrible person. How could you call yourself a human being? Go out and sell everything and give to the poor. Then you'll know what the kingdom of God... Like, I'm not saying that. There is a reality that there is debt that's a tool and that can be used for human flourishing and creativity in our lives, and, it's doesn't, and it doesn't enslave at the nature of destroying our freedom. But with that, we have to recognize that there's a lot of wisdom from our spiritual ancestors as they explore God in the world, and they say... Debt can also be a force for human pain when it's used as a substitute object in pursuit of a sacred object. And so we have to come into this reality of debt in our lives, understanding it's like everything else, it's complex. And it's not an, an either-or situation, but it's a both-and. Debt is not either good or bad, it's a both-and. And we understand this in financial world. Some of you work in the financial world. I don't work in the financial world. Sometimes I wish I did. <laughs> Right, but, but you'll get this, like there's, there's language in the financial world, there's concepts of secured and unsecured loans, right? And one is safer than the other. One is considered a good loan versus a bad loan, right? So there, this is not a foreign concept to us. And so we want to, and as we live in this world, we want to make sure that, that we're saying, okay, when I look at this scenario, when I'm, when I'm given a situation that might bring debt into my life, Am I doing it to break past a financial barrier, a veil of sorts that promises me this eternal goodness in the background, that promises me wholeness, that promises me happiness? Or am I using it for, my, for human flourishing? Am I using it for creative purposes, for peacemaking, for, for life in, in the ability to love others well? And the way we do that is we have to embrace this principle that there is nothing on the other side of the financial prohibition that will fulfill the desire that the prohibition creates. It's the prohibition that's the that is the desiring driving force 
This is Paul's language around the law is unable to save. The law just simply makes me want to do it more, right? We don't think about that because we don't necessarily live in that world, but that's the principle behind that for those of you that are familiar with the, the biblical language around that. The prohibition creates the desire. It's that you don't have it what makes it so powerful. And so we just have to, before we even enter into it, just recognize if I had the million dollars, if I had the two million dollars, if I had this, if I was even debt-free, because debt-free becomes a sacred object behind the curtain. And then you become debt-free and you realize, wait a second, I'm still in pain in this area of my life. I still feel on the whole here, right? So it's really tricky. Like, it's not like, let's live debt-free and do our debt-free screaming and everything is good from here on out. Nothing will do that. So we bring that fundamental principle to the whole process, right? That the prohibition is what, that what builds the drive and the desire, right? So don't project wholeness onto that thing that debt can bring into your life. You project wholeness onto it, that's where we get into trouble. All of a sudden, the drive gets so big and we'll take on crazy loans and crazy amounts of debt that we should never do. And then finally, in your regular, everyday, normal life, I just think it's wise I, th I don't think you have to be a Christian for this reality to shape your life in a positive way. I don't think you have to be any person of faith. Just engage in healthy financial practices, right? You're like, I can't believe I came to church for this. This is so simple. Yes. And now hopefully you and I, we've got a mechanism to know why in the world is it not so, why in the world I have struggled with it? Because, well, desire and mimetic desire, all this. They're like, so what is healthy financial practices? Live with the budget. Create a budget, live with the budget. In that budget, save, spend, here's the word, give, move right on. <laughs> Healthy financial practices, read the warning label on debt. I hope this is the warning label, what we're talking about today. It's not don't use it, it's not don't have it, it's just read the warning label. Whatever you think, debt will bring into your life. If you think it's going to make you whole, if you think it can deliver, I promise you it won't because lack is a part of existence because without lack, there is no love. And then the greatest lack we experience is when our lives are filled so much with overload that we can't actually love people. We can't actually bring the meaning into the world. So when we have financial margin, when we have space between the money and the month, you know what I'm talking about? Y'all ever had more month than money? No? Okay, fair enough. That's a total waste of your time. I apologize, right? When we have the margin, right? When we say, I could, but I don't. I could spend, but I don't. I could get the loan, but I didn't. Or I could get the bigger house, but I didn't. When we have that margin, right, it's an opportunity for us to live the blessed life. And we talk about that around here. That the blessed life is not a life of receiving, but it's a life of giving. This week, my family experienced this idea of people who had financial margin in their life and just wanted to be a blessing. So we were coming home from being out and we were in a car accident on 25 North on Tuesday night. And everybody's okay, a little stiff and sore, but you know, that, that night kind of just realized Wednesday is our, we have a group of people that come over for game night. Most people come to church here and it's our super spiritual evening of playing board games and drinking, sorry. <laughs> and uh, but we do pray. We close in prayer, so don't send me hate mail. And, uh, and we just said, given the week that we had had and the car accident that had just happened, we just said, hey, we've got to cancel the group on Wednesday night. This happened. Sorry. We'll see everybody next week. And I sent that out at like 11 o'clock at night. And um, 
got home from, from finally the tow truck coming, and I woke up to a text message that, from DoorDash that some of the, one, of the, one of the couples in our group had given us a $100 gift card to DoorDash, right? I know, it's so sweet. It really was. It just kind of in that moment was like, it's going to be all right, right? Now, here's the thing. Like, that family was living the blessed life. They were a blessing to us. We felt loved for. We felt cared for by the gift. We felt like there was somebody in our corner. Now, here's the thing, right? Like, honestly, I didn't need a $100 gift card from DoorDash. I'm okay. Like, we had plenty of food in the house, got a little bit of money in the bank. I can go buy groceries, okay? So I didn't need it, per se. But, but I needed it. I needed it. And then when we went and spent the gift card, in a moment again, I felt it. And I got the opportunity to say, thank you again, you know. So we need that in our lives. And they needed that. They needed that feeling of having the, the space to do that. But that doesn't happen without margin. If we're living to the extremes, we can't just randomly in the moment, in an unexpected opportunity, be a blessing to other people. And here's the deal. I saw it this, this week. We had, in the last two weeks, we've had two funerals around, two funerals here. And one of the funerals we just kind of put out there uh, and we usually do this like a meal train. And I saw people that didn't know this family that was experiencing loss just sign up for the meal train and bring a meal over. People made donations to give because they had financial margin, and that's that blessed life. And see, financial generosity, right? That's what flourishes in our margins. Generosity. We become generous people when we have that margin. It's really not a complicated topic. But sometimes, because we know it and we yet still don't live it, it's important that we pause and reflect on why that is. And, it, and I, I really do believe it comes down to this drive for a sacred object. We project wholeness. We get past the barrier of money with debt. And we just find ourselves now even more empty and just frustrated. And we can't do the things that are really deep inside of us to love people with everything that we have, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which includes our finances. So that's the encouragement. So we're going to wrap up. We're going to receive our offering today. Second time I talked about giving. Sorry, it's just a reality. And uh, the Connect card. So if you do me a favor, just take a moment, pull out your Connect card, pull out your offering envelope. You can fill those out. Um, and as you're filling that out, in just a moment, our room hosts are going to come forward and they're going to receive. Uh, they'll pick up the baskets on the table. They'll pass some baskets on the aisles. If you're sitting back in the bleachers, we encourage you to use the orange boxes on your way out to drop the Connect card and your giving envelope in there. But what is it that God's inviting you into today? This is how I like to end every talk. Like we've gathered in this space where two or three are gathered. There, there we believe somehow mystically and, and mysteriously God's presence is found. Jesus is here with us. What do you feel an invitation in your spirit towards? Right? Perhaps there's a, a next step, an invitation to realize that you've been using debt as a substitute object to break through that barrier, to get to just one thing after the other. You, you break into the holy of holies, right? And you grab it and go, oh, I had it wrong. And so you just sew up the curtain, put another sacred object back there, save up enough money, get the right loan, go back there, right? And maybe today there was just this little divine spark like that first time you got algebra and went, oh, okay, that makes sense. Maybe you sense the universe saying, hey, create financial margin just this week. Do a little experiment. If you're used to getting coffee every morning, just don't get coffee. Figure out how that coffee maker works that's still in the box that you've had for a year and a half. Go and pull it out today and say, you know what? I'm going to give away my coffee money. I'm going to find somebody in need and I'm just going to randomly just say, 
I know in my spirit they, they could use this. To just give away some money to somebody, right? Create that financial margin so you can live a blessed life somewhere along the way. And if you're feeling really behind, like, I don't even know how to, I just need some accountability. I need to set up some good financial health practices. Well, on October 11th, we have a seven-week financial health workshop that's starting on Tuesday nights. If you want to get more information about that, just check the box on the back of the Connect card and be happy to send that to you. So I'm going to invite our room hosts to come forward. They're going to receive the giving envelopes and our Connect cards today. And then we're going to give our blessing and then we're going to walk out to that great song, We Are the People We've Been Waiting For. And as they're receiving and picking up the baskets and, and all that good stuff, let me remind you out in the foyer is the display for the candy for Oktoberfest so that we can love on some, some people in our community and create a space. And, and you can get more information about creating a booth, all of that. That's going to be coming in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I want to thank those of you that are on the leadership team for Oktoberfest helping make that happen, organizing it. It's a ton of work. I know you've been working already for months and months and months, so thank you for that. Groups are going on right now. They've started up. If you're interested in jumping into a group, you can visit the website and do that, uh, all that good stuff. We have a, a, a Facebook group for those of you that are my age and older. We're tr- <laughs> They're still on Facebook, you know. We got to get the TikTok thing going and the whatever else, but... Uh, it's just, it's a community group where you can learn about meal trains and, and you can post prayer requests. And if you need help with stuff, that's just a space for the community to interact. Uh, you're welcome to jump in and participate in that. All right. Do me a favor, stand on up with me for our blessing today. Take a nice deep breath as you stand up and breathe out. It's been a good day together. I've come to a space right now in my spiritual journey that I'm sure will change, but where I am right now, that where I experience God the most is in your love, and and I see a love with one another. And it's in that moment that for me, God is resurrected every time. When I watch the video of Marley, man, I don't know. I just like, how am I going to go out and preach after that? Because that's that's just the resurrected Jesus coming back into my life. Like, it just drives me into the world, into the ones that are often forgotten. And I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for this church that, that has always had that in its DNA and is continuing in that DNA. So for our blessing today, if you're a guest this morning, I always invite our, everybody to just kind of lift their arms up a little bit. You may be here, whatever you feel comfortable. Just don't smack the person next to you, I suppose. And to just kind of breathe this into your innermost being a little bit. You can close your eyes. If you want to read along, you can. But here's the blessing for you. This week, may you be the people that we're waiting for. May you take practical steps to dispossess yourself of the possessions that possess you. And may you find the strength to break free from the desires that financial prohibitions create so that you might create margin between your income and expenses and so that you might be able to live the blessed life of generosity. And may your eyes be open this week to simple, unique, and powerful ways that you can love through the margins in your finances. And as you build financial margins, may a divine peace that goes beyond your understanding guard your heart and your mind from creating sacred objects filled with empty promises of wholeness. And may love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control flourish in your innermost being this week. Now go and be the people that we're waiting for. Amen.